Thanks so much for listening to Culture Proof. We had an incredible sit down with our friends, the Hamiltons, to talk about the importance of ministry within our own homes, the value of passing the gospel down to our children first, and then also sharing the gospel outside of the family. As was expected, this conversation went just a little bit longer than our one-hour standard sit-down, and so we've broken it up into two parts, and we will have a special download tomorrow, so make sure you check back for part two of our conversation with the Hamiltons. But here is what our Culture Proof Live sounded like. Listen. All right, guys, uh, <laughs> welcome to Culture Proof Live. It's yes. time for us to get started. Um, we are going to bring on our guests. I feel like they are the guests that don't need any introductions, right? right? Like, so I just want to go ahead and I could have, look, I was kind of being petty because I knew that people were like, man, the Hamiltons, the Hamiltons, right? <laughs> so I was like, let's not just start this off where we're both on screen together. Let's kind of have people say, wait, where are the Hamiltons? <laughs> <laughs> not just y'all. Come on, y'all. False advertisement. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Like, do I, am I doing this right? There we go. There are the Hamiltons. Hey, guys. Hey. Hello, hello. All right, Hamilton. So let's start. I feel like um, people are so familiar with your family. They're familiar with our family. And it's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this live together, um, because we share a lot about our family on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. um, but just to kind of get it started and give a little bit of background, you guys talk about the makeup of your family, how long you've been married, how many kids you have, and their ages, things like that. Yeah, uh, we have been married 15 years. Uh, we start year 16 this December. Year 16 this December. Yes, year 16 this December. Uh, we have six children, the youngest of which is here because right, yeah. he would not cooperate with coming on the live. But right. he's on with us. Uh, our oldest is 12. We'll be 13 in December as well. My next child, she's 11. Yeah. Oldest daughter uh, is 11. Anna's 11. Then we have Gabriel, who just turned nine. Yes. Today. Yes. Today. Oh, happy birthday, Gabriel. Yes. Baby turned nine today. And we have Abigail, who's eight, then Danny, who is six, and David, who will be two in December. Yes. Man, mm. that's incredible. So, so you guys, um, you have a pretty good range. Um, you're headed toward the teen years, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and so I think people will be familiar with our family's makeup and I'm setting this all up because we just wanted to have a conversation about navigating family and yeah. about the vision and the mission that the Lord has entrusted to us, what that looks like. Um, just so that people are aware, we want to talk about paternal involvement mm -hmm. in maintaining or managing the household. Like so often we have this, um, and I, you know, look, we love our country, but we have an Americanized view of what the father's involvement is in the family. And I don't think that we've honored the Lord well in that. You know, I think far too often what we've done is we've kind of expected or even encouraged dads to take a step back in the management of the home and not even know, I, I would say not even knowing what to expect. Yeah. So, okay. So on our side of things, we've got six kids as well, and they are 16, 15, 13, and then nine, seven, and three. three. I almost said two, but three. No, he just, just turned yeah. three and... um. We're potty training him, oh, you guys. <laughs> the struggle is real. Speaking of having had it. <laughs> Man. <laughs> okay. Um, so so let's do this. You guys tell us about um your family mission. Tell us what your family mission is and how you arrived at that family mission. Yeah. Um, 
so I'll, I'll answer your question in kind of reverse order and you, you jump in, baby, mm -hmm. if I leave something out. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I, I'll just go back. Um, when Marie and I got engaged and we were about to be married, it, the, the, the sobriety of what we we're about to enter in, enter into really hit me. And I realized, man, I don't really know as much as I'd like to know and understand about being married. And so the mm -hmm. Lord took me on a course of just really, honestly, I was on my floor in my apartment that Maria ultimately moved into in Texas, stretched out, crying out to the Lord to, to show me what his view of being a husband is. And so there are lots of details to that. But one of the things the Lord convicted us about through scripture uh, was the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. Uh, and not only the portion pertaining to pouring into your children, uh, but having uh, the vision that God has given us for our family written on the tablets or on the doorposts of our home mm -hmm. and to where even we would have something in our home that will reflect our commitment. The, the, the Lord showed us through scripture, we'll probably get to there this evening, that he didn't just bring us together as, as wonderful as my wife is and as beautiful as she is. Uh, that companionship was not his ultimate purpose for bringing us together, but he brought us together for his mission and his vision that he wanted to bring to fruition through us. And so uh, with that, we spent some time praying together and through searching the scriptures, the Lord brought us to two primary texts for our family, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, and Acts chapter 13, verse 36. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, this is, as you're very familiar with, 2 Timothy was written near the end of the Apostle Paul's life as he's awaiting, as I described, an imminent, all being uncertain execution. He knows it's coming, but don't know the day. Yeah. And he makes the reference, for I am already being poured out like a drink, like a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. Mm -hmm. um, Lord, emblazon that upon our hearts. And then Acts chapter 13, verse 36, when uh, Paul and his ministerial team are in Pisidian Antioch and they're proclaiming the gospel in the course of doing so, recounting Israel's history. And Paul makes the statement that David served his purpose, served the purposes of God in his own generation. And the Lord impressed upon us, that's it. The reason why I'm bringing you and Maria together, Abe, is so that you too and the offspring now bring through you mm -hmm. that you are ordained to serve my purposes, to be poured out like drink offerings in service of my purposes in your generation. And so that's what the Lord brought together for us uh, and emblazoned that as our family mission. So everything that we are and being joined together, what we're doing to invest in our family, and what we're, by God's grace, endeavoring to cultivate within our children is a resolute commitment to be poured out like drink offerings in service to the Lord's purposes in our generation. Amen. Yeah, I think it was very important to us to have that from God directly because we both came into marriage not really knowing what marriage <coughs> was and what our focus should be, right? So all we knew was companionship, maybe kind of like a, uh, what do we call it, like the comedy uh, romantic, romantic comedy yeah. type of movie, you know, type of understanding, but we didn't know. And so we both were praying like, Lord, help me to be, I would pray, help me to be the wife that he needs. And, and he would pray, help me to be the husband that, that I need. And so kind of like merging those uh, prayers, the Lord revealed what, what he intended for us, which was to come together on the same ship, if you will, going in the same direction. And of course, the understanding of two becoming one, that is biblical. Uh, we embrace that, but we needed a word from God, which was important to know where we were heading. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Sometimes I think about it and I think, man, it, it's it's kind of generalized and and most people should understand that they should be poured out uh, as far as, you know, believers. 
But for us, we know what that means. Like we know, and especially passing it down to our children, we know it means that we are willing to do whatever the Lord calls us to and go wherever he sends us. So again, every believer should embrace that. But we know for our family, that is primary. And I'll add one thing to that. Having that as the missional objective for our, fam our family's focus helps us to understand even how we make decisions. So the things that we do, the things that we refrain from, the things that we pursue, the things that we avoid, yeah. the thing that the Lord uses to enable us to make those decisions is, does this contribute to the mission for which God has brought us together? If the answer is no, then we have clarity that these are things that we should avoid and refrain. If the answer is yes, those are things that we pursue with a passion because it aids the fulfillment of the purpose for which God has brought us together. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. I think back to when Will the Great asked me to marry him. And, you know, one of the reasons, like, I wanted to know why, like, why do you, why do you, <laughs> like, why do you want to marry me? Right. Like, and, and what I expected, because I come from a broken home, I come from a fatherless context. I didn't have a point of reference for marriage. I didn't have an understanding of like, you know, even though I was a Christian, I was following the Lord. I was a missionary. He was a missionary. And I would say that we were mature believers. I still didn't have a point of reference for marriage. You know, I still didn't understand um, what even to expect. And so when he asked me to marry him, I was like, you know, why? Why do you want to marry me? And he said, well, I feel like the Lord has revealed to me that he's putting us together for purpose. And that's that's not really like <laughs> not, that's not like in the realm of Pepe Le Pew. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not like sweet nothings. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, my shuddy. Like, you know what I mean? It's not it wasn't that. Um, but I look back on that and I'm so grateful for that because understand, having an understanding that goes beyond the emotional aspect of marriage, that goes beyond the feelings, is what I think in obedience to the Lord, in addition to obedience to the Lord, hmm. gives us the staying power and the focus in marriage. Yeah, yeah. And A.B. talk about um, having a mission um, and how if you want someone to come under submission, you need to have a mission. You know, that's something that we teach. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. and, the, and the thing is... Having that mission makes everything clear because mm -hmm. you know exactly what you're about, like you guys said, and you know if it's something outside of that, well, that's not something that that is our mission, right. you know. So it's very important, very very important. And we say this when we travel, you know, that you have a family mission. Mm -hmm. What is the Lord saying about your family? And have it in a prominent place where you can go to it and say, "This is what we are about." It, it just clears everything up. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about it, like when you have a mission. So like, let's say to our families who are on this live tonight and they're saying, help us understand what it looks like to define a mission. Like what, what should be our mission? Like what's the right aim of any given family? Is that family specific? And at the same time, something that's general that just comes from the Lord, or is it all just family specific? Well, I think it, it, it can be a combination, you know, it, it, it can be family specific. It can be more general. I, I, I perceive our family mission as being a bit more general in its articulation, uh, but it leaves room for the specific application as we pursue particular uh, things, particular choices. How do we you know, go about what we do? Uh, but you do have some some family specific things that arise um, depending on the makeup of, of your family. And, and you know, I, I encourage people, especially fathers, when we consider, and I know we're going to get to this more so later on, but when we consider the responsibility that we have uh, from the Lord in, in shepherding our families, sometimes the question comes up, well, you know, hey, what do I do? I don't have this particular gift set. And I, and I always say that the Lord did not make 
a particular gift as a prerequisite to his mandate to us to be our families. In fact, he knows better than you who he made you to be, your makeup, your gifts, what you are good at, what you're not good at, your talents, your abilities. And he still calls you to shepherd your family because there's something very specific in you and in your family that the Lord desires to be brought out, to be included in his tapestry of ecclesiastical faithfulness. You know, mm. sometimes people minimize the significance of the Lord's body when that really is a, a, a fundamental misunderstanding because the Lord even says in his word, Ephesians chapter three, verse 10, that he is ordained for the manifold wisdom of God to be put on display through his church. Yeah. Mm. He doesn't need us to put his wisdom on display, but he's divinely and providentially chosen to include his bride in that display to where you, you know you dig into the word manifold, it's multifaceted and variegated. So you have this, this tapestry that's woven together with a specific contribution that only your family can render, which mm -hmm. we have a physical manifestation of that in that not two individuals have the same fingerprint. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. uh, no two families are identical and that's by God's design. Yeah. He wants the, the specific manifestation of his glory through your unit, through your makeup, through your family, with your flaws and all, because he's a master at using crooked sticks to paint straight lines. And so uh, there is a very, uh, you can have both a general application and family specific, but it all is for his glory. And so I, I don't want anybody to take from this that they need to try to be a clone of the Hamiltons or even of the Addisons, mm -hmm. but to be encouraged to see, wait a minute, this is something that you have available for us, Lord. Well, what would you want to be and do through my family? How do you want us to contribute to your manifold wisdom to be put on display? I think also something that needs to be um, said also is that when, when God puts two people together, the goal is to become one, but that doesn't mean that 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 the that the roles won't be complementary. So, for example, whenever we, whenever God, when we were praying, right, and the Lord was showing us our mission, and we were praying, crying out to Him, like, Lord, we don't know what we're doing. You know, like you said, we don't have a point of reference. Um, and He was showing us. It wasn't like Abe said, "This is our mission. You better come out, get under." <laughs> Like, no, no, no. It's not like it because, you know, the common understanding is women, you just lose yourself or you park your your talents, your gifts, your makeup, your mission pre-marriage on the side. And then you kind of become to his wife. And then you. that's not what the Lord desires. The Lord desires to becoming one. Mm. Yes, there are different roles. But man, the giftings, the talents, the abilities, the revelations that God has given when we were separate, when we were you know unmarried. Then they come together and it works together like a beautiful, you know, puzzle. It, it comes together. So it's something that we always need to make sure we explain because I don't, I, I've heard, um, excuse me, young women, you know, newly married who struggle with like, wait, do I just completely ignore who I was and who I am to just come under this mission that God has revealed to my husband? Prayer has to happen for, on both ends. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And once the Lord reveals, man, it'll, it'll manifests itself in a beautiful way you know mm. Mm. and you know the thing is you you, you mentioned about being complementary and and coming together to be one you know i've learned that as a uh husband and as a father um god has given us insight into our families to nurture those things that you know um i guess will help the whole like in our in our children i see things you know we see things that we're like man, how can we bring that out of them more? You know, yeah. as a husband, I see things in my wife that I'm like, 
man, how can I help to, to nurture that gift? You know, and I think if we see it like that, you know, that, yeah, we're different, you know, but it's all for the one It's for, it's for a unified, uh, uh, you know, front and a unified, uh, mission, yeah. then man, you can work together and it, it can work well, you know, but if there's a striving, you know, if you're saying like, well, I, I have this personality, so I can't do this, or I, right. you know, I'm like this, so I can't do that. Then you kind of work against yourself, you know, yeah. you're working against the family. And so God has set us there and have different giftings and talents and abilities, but it's all for his glory. Amen. Amen. So yeah. then let me, let me, let me toss this out for uh further discussion. Then how are we reminded of the individual missions that the Lord's entrusted to our families every day? Like, how do you work toward that and not allow that to be something that maybe is just posted on the wall or yeah. something that it sounds good when we talk about it, when we say it, but are we actively living that out every day? What does that look like? Have you been looking for a solution to your math woes? Maybe that's CTC Math. CTC Math is a self-paced learning program designed to empower students in all grades. Even parents who aren't homeschooling wonder if there are gaps in their kids' math education. Head on over to ctcmath.com and let CTC Math help you discover where your kid is and build from there. CTC Math is engaging and responsive to students no matter where they are in their math journey. Parents, you don't have to fear math. There's so much stress in our life. Math doesn't have to be one of them. Let our friends at CTC Math help you and your children enjoy math. Again, you'll want to go to ctcmath.com. That's ctcmath.com. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So you refer to it being posted on the wall. First of all, we do have it mounted in a prominent place uh, in our home. We intentionally wanted to put it, put the family's mission in a place where we have to walk by it every day. We read it frequently. We, re we review it frequently. It's something that we discuss uh, with regularity at our time to worship together as a family, uh, but also when it comes to time to make decisions. Uh, so a, a perfect example, my oldest son, he has a particular gift set and we talk about his giftings. And one of the things that happens that one of the things that happens invariably when we're gifted in a particular area, uh, we enjoy operating in that area. And so we consistently discuss, okay, as much as you enjoy this, how are you endeavoring to utilize this in fulfillment of what God has ordained for our family to pursue, you know, and to communicate it to such a degree to where it's not merely daddy and mommy proclaiming uh, what we know God is leading our family to be, but also inviting our children to recognize how is God working this out in you and get to the place to where uh, the children, our children in particular, uh, see, man, yes, God has given me this ability, but he's given me this ability to fulfill this. So we want to, to cultivate that appetite, cultivate that hunger, um, a, a, another way that we do so is by communicating the reality that if God has saved you and has given you time to live after being regenerated, he's done so for your purposes. There's no junior Holy Spirit. So if you're right. in love with the Holy Spirit, he has called you to follow him in the ministry. Luke 9, 23 applies to you, 12-year-old, 10-year-old, 8-year-old. Right. Uh, if, if, if you are born again, the Lord calls you to take up your cross, die daily, and to follow him. And so that includes in the cultivation of your gifts, of your abilities, the things that you enjoy, that um, disposition of a disciple applies to you. So we include the 
we endeavor to include a clear communication of what is required of a disciple within the overarching context of showing how you how we execute our summoning to discipleship in the various things that we pursue. So when it comes to cultivating an ability or in a gift, we desire to do that as disciples of Christ Jesus, not mm-hmm. just as people that just want to have a good time. Mm, yeah. yeah, no, that's, that's so good. good. I feel like that's one of the ways that um, Will the Great has really provoked our family. You know, I I, I think of like there's a lot of busyness. There's a, the potential to be really busy with a lot of the things that we do as a family, like just in general. And one of the ways you keep the mission in the forefront is to recognize that the things that you are doing are in line with the way that God has designed you. And he has designed you specifically to give him glory. Mm-hmm. He's designed you specifically in the things that you're able to do, um, even the things that you're gifted at, the things that you enjoy doing. Um, to glorify him. And so, you know, keeping that in the forefront of your mind that when you've got a kid who maybe is taking music lessons, it's not because that's just the automatic thing. We Our kids take this, our kids take, right. but it's like observing, wait a minute, this kid may have a gift in this area. Yeah. How do we nurture that gift for the glory of God? And so for us, the the mission of our family, the drive of our family is that every single thing that we do and mm-hmm. all of the ways that we are designed and man, all eight of us, very different with very specific giftings, right? That all of that would be done for the glory of God. And I feel like every day it kind of keeps you focused on maybe if you got a kid um, and Maria, you can speak to this because I know we've talked about this before that if you've got a kid who's involved in something and it gets tough and that kid wants to give up yes. and you're like, well, yes. is this just a hobby or are you doing this to glorify God? Amen. 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 Yeah. Just today um, at soccer. I mean, it, it happens all the time, you know, because it's it is these are children. Mm-hmm. And as we are trying to encourage them and love them and train them, and disciple them, we're forming their hearts and we're showing them uh, when sin arises. Right. And, and really in our flesh, we want to quit in our flesh. When things get hard, we don't want to do what is right. We don't want to honor God. So it's redirecting. Remember, we are poured out. We're poured out for the glory of God. We're wanting to do exactly what he called us to. And he gifted you here then this is what we're going to do. We're going to do it all out and we're going to give all of our, you know, our effort uh, by the spirit of God. And so it's redirecting always. We had an incident with, with our second oldest, uh, Anna. She plays piano. She is musically talented. We know that the Lord has shown it, right? Um, we had to, we had to make some decisions with her piano. And at first she was like, oh no, that's not happening. And we were like, oh yes, because the Lord is directing. Mm-hmm. And why is the Lord directing? We didn't give all the details, but we explained the Lord is directing and you need to trust God. And he is going to show you something in this uh, surrender and submission to his leadership mm-hmm. um, that she actually learned later on. And it, it was it was pivotal. It was a mark on her staff. So it was mm-hmm. all that. But just reminding them, reminding them, what are we here for? What are we doing? You know, what is our purpose? It's good. And I, let me just add and we communicate. And y'all know, honestly, you, you got to know a bit of her personality. We communicated specifically to trust God as he is reveal, revealing his will for you, baby girl, through daddy and mommy's instruction. Yeah. You display your trust for God by exhibiting your trust in us because he has planted us as your authority yeah. and the trust that he knows better what's what's best for you beyond what you think you know at your 11-year-old stage of life. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Able to, to recognize, okay, because I, I, I'm endeavoring to put my confidence in God, my trust in God, though this may seem a little bit uncomfortable, I'm going to step out in faith and open my heart to embrace what you're leading me to. Not just doing it, mm-hmm. but opening mm-hmm. my heart to embrace what you're leading me to. Yeah. And she was able to come back around and testify that, you know, it was better for me 
for God to bring me the direction that he was leading me as opposed to me being reluctant on the front end. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this sounds like, awesome. it sounds like you guys are uh, making disciples. It sounds like you are fulfilling the great commission, which leads <laughs> me to my next question, right? How does the family fit in the fulfillment of the great commission? Does that actually count as ministry? Like, can we count our kids? Like if our kids come to Christ, can we, <laughs> or well, is it, is it only those that we reach outside of our homes? Man, you know, I get going. You want to start? <laughs> <laughs> So let me just let me just say this. Go ahead. Um, unfortunately, as as y'all know, because we're friends, um, unfortunately, the body of Christ has completely embraced the ways of the world in regards to this topic. And we have allowed the enemy to convince us that our children are not for some reason part of the body of Christ or or even um the lost that need evangelizing. And, you know, then at the, after that discipleship. So, um, we, we have allowed him to blind us to the point where we are allowing other people to disciple our children instead of us. We don't see that. We don't see them as mission field for some reason. Right. We see, you know, China and Russia and Cuba, whatever mission field. And we don't see our own children in that way. And that is unfortunate, but that is a life from the devil. And we have, we have, being deceived by him in the body of Christ. And so um, we can't continue to allow that to happen. There has to come a point where we realize, okay, these are children um, that God has blessed us with, but they belong to him, right? So just as passionate as we are to go and spread the gospel and, and you know, and make disciples outside, we got to do that with our own children to pass mm -hmm. it generation to generation, which is God's desire. Amen. Yeah. Um, to your question, um, Miki, where where do our families fit um, from God's standpoint? <laughs> according to scripture, uh, they are smack dab in the middle of God's plan for his establishment of a remnant of faithful witnesses across the generations. They're not secondary. They're not ancillary. They are central to God's plan. Um, I'll try to give a long answer in a short way, but from New old, from Old Testament through New Testament, the witness of Scripture is clear and consistent in this regard. So, going all the way back to the Book of Genesis, Genesis chapter two, and we got Bibles on on deck because we know we talking to our people. You know, we got Bibles <laughs> on deck. You know, in the very beginning, and this is this is something that the Lord has really been impressing upon me more and more and more um, in this regard. So Genesis 1, God makes man in his image. In his image, he makes them, male and female, men and women, qualitative equals as fellow bearers of God's image, complementarily distinct from one another. Mm -hmm. Genesis 2, God not only, not only defines marriage, he gives a why. He says, for this cause, Genesis chapter 2, let me get, wait, I'm on chapter 1. Genesis chapter 2, Verse, verse 24, for this reason shall a man leave his father and his mother to be joined to his wife. In Genesis chapter two, verse 24, God is not conveniently ignorant of the fact that Adam and Eve do not have biological parents. He knows that. Right. Nevertheless, God introduces the concept of fatherhood and motherhood in the book of Genesis. Come on. Which tells me 
that God has something very specific in mind when he says father and mother. That is not limited to a biological reality, but also an internal qualitative reality. You fast forward uh, what becomes the identifying text for the Hebrew people, Deuteronomy chapter six, Mm -hmm. the where the Lord in both of these passages, Jesus quotes (laughs) when asked about the great commandment. He cites both of these, what I'm referring to, Genesis one, Genesis two and Deuteronomy six. Uh, when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? But going to the Shema, the Lord says to the people of Israel, second generation of Israelites preparing to enter the, the promised land. Moses is about to depart. He says, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul and all your all your, all your might in Deuteronomy 6. When Jesus quotes it, he has mind, but the Hebrew text includes intellectual capacity and emotive, emotive functions. Then he goes on later to ultimately say, and you shall teach this this love and commitment, devotion to God, diligently to your children. Yes. Not just teach it, but to teach it diligently. He commands to teach it and, and describes how it should be taught. That gives us an indication as to what God has in mind when he or, ordains and establishes the concepts of fatherhood and motherhood. Mm. This is a part of what he has in mind in Genesis 2 when he says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Fathers and mothers have a specific investment that God designed for them to pour into in establishing, as Psalm 127 says, his heritage. Mm-hmm. Going back to Genesis versus Genesis chapters one and two, that there's a principle of everything that the Lord establishes, that everything reproduces after its own kind. It's interesting to note that the Lord having the wherewithal to unfold human history however he wants to, the first human institution that he establishes is the family with marriage at the center, then the first command that God gives to mankind is a command that can only be executed within the context of family. Mm-hmm. Fruitfulness and multiplication. You cannot get to the other two components of the first command without fruitfulness and multiplication. Fruitfulness is what leads to multiplying. Multiplying is what leads to replenishing the earth. Replenishing the earth is what leads to Kavashing the earth this is the Hebrew term there, subduing the earth, which means to make the earth conducive to maximize human flourishing. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the, the principle of the likeness and reproduction, multiplication, replenishment, the Lord is not only expecting a quantitative multiplication, but also a qualitative multiplication. And all of this mm-hmm. is before sin and death ever enters the picture. That this union, intimacy, communion, Adherence to my word, this dressing and keeping the garden that is ordained in Adam and is ordained ultimately in Eve is what is to be multiplied and what is used to replenish. You get to Deuteronomy 6. <laughs> love the Lord with all you are and teach this love for him diligently to your children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Psalm 78, Psalm 127, Psalm 128, Malachi 2.15, all the way through to the New Testament. Where you get to, for example, and there are more, but I'll just pause here and I'll stop, stop talking. Ephesians chapter 6. The Lord refer, refers to the first commandment with promise. Honor your father and mother without prerequisite. Doesn't mean if they're good, bad, or ugly. That's a command. But then the Lord says, fathers, rear your children in the paideia and nuthesia of the Lord. In the nurture and admonition of the Lord or the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is a command. That is not a suggestion. That is a command to to, to fathers to oversee, to implement, to execute, and to 
invest in ensuring that your commitment is one that when you stand before the Lord, you can say, Lord, as best to my ability, I've endeavored to obey you in this fashion. Mm. This is God's primary mechanism. If you look at the first command given to mankind, fruitfulness, replenishing the earth, multiplying and subduing it, it's pretty analogous to the Great Commission. Go ye therefore into all the cosmos, making disciples of all ethnos, all ethnicities, all nations, mm -hmm. teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. It is central to God's plan for mankind because the family is the primary unit. Now, when I say primary, I mean primary in investment as well as in chronology. Mm -hmm. That God has given this command to. And so when you have the principle, Acts chapter one later, when the resurrected Christ is talking to his apostles and he said, tear in Jerusalem and you'll be due with power, Deuteronomy, to be my martyrs, witnesses. The call to be a witness is first in Jerusalem, then to Judea, then to Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the earth. The principle that's articulated there is that the call to be my witnesses starts in the home base that I have provided for you. Mm. Mm. Okay, mm. so go ahead. Go now I'm just going to point out one, one point about the Shema. And, you know, we talk about in, in they, to be able to disciple, we got to be a disciple ourselves, to disciple mm -hmm. someone else. And it always sticks out to me how uh, it says that this should be in your heart first. And 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 then you teach them diligently, mm -hmm. you know. And I think that that component of loving God yourself and, and, mm -hmm. and it being evident, you know, that will enable you to teach your children diligently. Yes. But if it's not in you, if it's not on your heart, then you won't be able to do that. And that's just one point, you know, I just want to make So when you say that, Will the Great, I'm just curious, do you feel like you have observed in the body of Christ, maybe that parents have a desire for their kids yeah. that's not even present in them, like that maybe is not even present in their heart? Yeah, I, I think so. I think when, when it get, gets down to it, a lot of it, uh, you can be focused in on all type of other things, you mm -hmm. know, and not really look having a heart for God, you know, not even having a heart for his things. Maybe there's a heart for things of this world, mm -hmm. you know, but you want the results, results of discipleship, but you don't want the, you know, the, the, the work that it puts yes. to, 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 to get it. And so yeah. the thing is, if you're not, if you're not in a place where your heart is given over to God. I think it, it would be difficult, almost impossible for you to give that to your children, even if you really, really want it. Mm -hmm. Even if you say, you know, this is how I want my children to be raised. If it's not in your heart, then you, you can't give it. Yeah. So then let's talk about the father's heart then. And let's kind of make a shift here. How has it happened in American culture that we have turned the care of the home over to women solely? Hmm. You know how, how have we neglected the role <laughs> of fathers in that? I'm sorry. Go ahead, Maria. Yeah, no, it's just it's just crazy because I can really I can I can explain it even culturally in Latin America as well, where you have this um, understanding that at most a father should only provide financially. That that is like the zenith of fatherhood is just to provide financially. Um, if you think about the broken families in America and you think about the um, percentage today of broken families in comparison to years past and even in comparison to whole families, you know, it's really sad. It's grown exponentially. When you consider broken families, men are encouraged to just provide financially. 
just, you know, cuss, I mean, what is it called? Um, not alimony, but the child, child support. You know, just yeah. legally, just the minimum. That's, that's just what you need to do. And you, if, you, if you do that, you're good. Um, forget, you know, the marriage component and forget, mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, the, the covering and the intimacy and the intentionality and the heart of the child and all that it takes. You know, mm-hmm. they're satisfied with I'm going to be over here as the wife with the children. You're going to be over there even in a different home in, in, in regards to working families. You know, it is it is an epidemic. And mm-hmm. so that. In the church, we've embraced that. In the church, we've said it is sufficient for the father to go out and work and just provide financially. And then we're in the home as wives, you know, doing the day to day, which honestly, and Mickey, you can relate, I think it is a lot. Like when we're talking about discipling our children, there is not like an off clock, right? <laughs> it's not like you can say, I'm doing my job as wife and mother from eight to five. No, right? <laughs> and regardless of our experience, biblically speaking, the instruction is to fathers. Like the, the heart of the child is not merely for the mom to figure out. That's the right. Giftings, abilities, direction in life. Those things are not just for the but mother, honestly, is not equipped fully. Um, and nor does God desire for, to be solely the mom's responsibility. Amen. It is the father who gives oversight and the father who gives who is intentional at cultivating that heart of the child alongside us as wives. So I think, man, we have done such a a poor job historically. I mean, the church and particularly in America. And even like I said, culturally, that's all it was, y'all. When I was growing up, men just provided financially. That's all you do. And so that that's not biblical. That's not mm-hmm. biblical. And so yeah. as believers, what does the Bible say? Where What does the Bible ex- instruct particularly men? And of course, women. You know, um, as we continue talking, but it, it's a it's a pivotal conversation to be had. It is it is um, it is a vital work that we do, husbands and wives, inside our homes together. And when we started sending dads away to be productive, because mm. because because what we said was you're not productive at home. We said you're productive away, right? So as our culture changed, then what we perceived as valuable work also changed. Now, what got lost in the shuffle there is the family, right? So even if the culture changed and and our, our means by which the family was provided for, the mandate of God didn't change. This is why we always say we have to be culture proof, right? Because if the culture shifts and the culture changes, the thing that steadies us and the thing that anchors us is the eternal word of God. So if God has given a mandate to both moms and dads, if God has given a mandate to the family, then it doesn't matter how the means of production might change in any given, you know, generation, we are still mandated by God to ensure that our families are in line according to his standard, not even according to the culture that we live in at the time. It's according to his standard, which means that the truth of who God is and the truth of the gospel works in every generation and in every culture all around the world. All right. I think that's a great place for us to leave it. Remember, Part two of this conversation is downloaded tomorrow, so check back then. When we resist those cultural trends that rival the truth, we remain culture-proof. Until next time, Lord willing. God bless.